We're going to continue now with our time in God's Word. And um, around St. Peter, for the last few weeks after Easter, we've been going through a series entitled simply, Resurrecting Jesus Love. And we're actually now in week six out of seven. So if you haven't been with us in the last uh, five weeks, here's what we've covered. Resurrecting Jesus' love, our theme for this series. It, it starts with God. That was week one. Uh, it gets messy. It takes risks. It, it invites us, just like Jesus, when he washes disciples' feet and then sent us out to do the same to others, it, it invites us to lower ourselves. Uh, last week, I talked a little bit about what it means to forgive others fully and how that can restore our human relationships and how it reflects the relationship we have with God who has forgiven us fully as well. And this weekend, as you can see, and as you've gathered, maybe we're going to talk about uh, what it means to see people, right? To see them as God sees them. And, and, and next week, we'd love to have you join us, uh, whether at home uh, or here at St. Peter, as Pastor Randy wraps it up with uh, a challenging uh, conclusion that, that Jesus invites us to help even our enemies. Now, um, again, that's, that's really what, what Pastor Randy is going to focus on next week, the helping enemies part. But the next thing I want to do is ask you a couple questions that may actually brush up against on this. And let's just see how it works. It did okay in the first service. Sorry. So I'm going to ask you, those of you in the room and those of you at home, if you want to chat it in, you can do that, uh, a, a series of questions. I'm just trying to get a sense of who's in the room. Um, uh, so I just want you to shout out if you're a Cubs fan or a Sox fan. All right, settle down now, all right? Okay. <laughs> all right, how about this one? Um, if you are a Bears or a Packers fan? Bears. Okay, well, it's a strong majority, just FYI. So all you Wisconsin people, just kind of keep that in mind, all right? Here's, here, here's another one. Uh, Lou Malnati's or Giordano's? Okay, there definitely is a strong preference for Lou's. I appreciate that. We have one half a mile from our house, so that's our our go-to place for deep dish. And and this one I understand. I'm not a Chicago native, but this sometimes can can lead to blows. Um, This is a yes or no question. Uh, Do you put ketchup on your hot dog? (laughs) All right. (laughs) So, uh, right. Now, it's interesting. Uh, These are small, silly things, right? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter whether you're a Sox fan or a Cubs fan. I mean, just I know that's hard to hear. Or whether you're a Packers or Bears fan, what you put on your hot dog ultimately doesn't matter. But isn't it interesting, even in a lighthearted way, how these simple things sometimes can divide us, right? And I think you would agree that this year, perhaps, people feel more divided than ever, right? And not just about those smaller things, but about bigger things. And, and I know for Sarah and I, what we found is, is, is we just... We just engage less on social media this year just because people can get hostile quickly, whether it's about uh, what causes you support, uh, what candidates you prefer, how you vote in a particular election, whether that's a national, state, or even a local, even a congregational level. Sometimes these things can divide people. And what, we, what we've learned is, is that we make all sorts of judgments about other people uh, that, that limit Uh, our ability to interact with them, and and certainly hinders our ability to see others in the way that God sees them. I'm I'm wondering, uh, you know, how you answered some of those questions we started out with today. Like when people see you, what do they notice first about you, or what do you notice about others? And, And isn't it true how quickly we can judge someone just based on their appearances? Right? Debbie and Sarah laughed when I said, I hope people notice my stunning good looks. Like, that's, 
But, um, but sometimes we, we look at external appearances and we make all sorts of judgments. A couple years ago, Sarah and I started down a path of befriending uh, a local guy who lives near us, or I shouldn't say lives near us, but he's often around us because he actually doesn't live anywhere. He's a homeless man, and he's often at our local grocery store up by Buffalo Grove High School. There's an Aldi on the corner there where we've shopped every week for the last 14 years. And a few years ago, we noticed uh, this young man just start hanging out there, and you guys probably know what this looks like. Um, Not all that well-dressed, carrying around perhaps most, if not all, of his earthly possessions, and he's got a sign says something about need help, God bless, you know, the basics. And, um, and, and somewhere along the way, Sarah, and then I followed her, uh, just felt called to, to get to know this guy. And so we decided uh, that whenever we would see him, we would stop whatever we were doing and just go up and start a conversation with him. Come to find out, uh, his name is Paul. And he's probably in his young 30s. Uh, and, and he's, over the course of the last few years, started to share a little bit more and a little bit more about his life. Uh, last time I saw Paul was about a week ago or so, and I was driving by Aldi to pick up a few odds and ends, and, uh, and I saw him in the parking lot, and I, and I know that, that he doesn't stay there for very long. And so I wanted to be able to go up and check in and see how he's doing, because I haven't seen him in a while. And so I got out of the car and went over, and I saw Paul, and he put his sign down, and, uh, and we started to have a conversation, and, and Paul shared with me that he just lost probably his closest friend ever, a childhood friend from high school who had gotten into a drug addiction issue, had gotten himself clean, had just come out of rehabilitation, and was actually volunteering in an inner city out east, uh, helping people on the street when, unfortunately, he overdosed and passed away. And my friend Paul was heartbroken because his closest friend on the planet was gone. And he couldn't go to a funeral. He didn't know what to do. And he said, I'm I'm having trouble sleeping because this is really hard. Now, in other conversations with Paul, he's shared with us that he's had a rough life and he's made some decisions he regrets. And in fact, he told Sarah at one point in time, some of the things that he's done, uh, he just can't bring himself to even tell her. Uh, because what he also shared with us is that uh, Sarah and I are the only people who actually talk to him. So he sees people all of the time, right, coming and going, uh, and, and we're the only people apparently that actually stop what we're doing and go up and have gotten to know his story and gotten to know his name. What other people say, uh, uh, we found out, is, is just unconscionable. For example, uh, Paul shares with us that, that people will come up to him and tell him that he's not wanted there, that he has to leave, uh, that they feel threatened by him and his presence. In fact, there was one man who told him the next time he sees him there, he will beat him to death because he doesn't want his mom to feel uncomfortable with a man like that standing there. All sorts of assumptions made about a man just by how he looks, where he stands, how he dresses. And you can just see our friend Paul get smaller when he's treated that way. And what we've also seen is Paul stand taller when we go up and say hello. Now, on that particular day, I also said, hey, Paul, what do you need? And he said, "Um, I haven't been able to sleep because uh, my friend died. Uh, So like energy drink or something like that, maybe some hand wipes. He never asks for much because he can't take much with him. And if we give him money, he'll probably get robbed. And so he's not interested in that. 
He's more so just interested in human interaction. And so I went in, I grabbed a few things, but by the time I came out, he was gone. And so they're in the back of my car, sliding around every time I take a turn, <laughs> right? Because I don't want to be without next time I see my friend Paul. I tell you that story um, because what we're going to wrestle with today is how God invites us to see other people. And in particular, how he challenges us to see others in the way that he looks at us. And to do so, we're going to go back to the familiar story of the Good Samaritan. Last night, we were having dinner with our neighbors, and uh, one of our friends, Chip, says, Hey, Rev, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, The Good Samaritan. And he said, That's a great story. Most of us know a thing or two about the Good Samaritan, right? Its name is everywhere uh, in our society. Here's a picture of Advocate uh, Good Shepherd Hospital. I think this is the one out in DuPage, but I'm guessing there's probably a Good Shepherd Hospital in every state, maybe, or maybe in multiple cities in states. It's It's a great name for a hospital because of the story and how the Good Samaritan takes a man who was beaten nearly to death and, um, and takes care of him, right? You may also be familiar with uh, organizations like Samaritan's Purse, a great uh, non-for-profit that helps provide relief to the poor and the marginalized throughout the world. Here at St. Peter, we've often participated in Samaritan's Purse annual Christmas drive. Operation Christmas Child. And it's so fun uh, here in our school, for example, to just pack box after box after box and send them out uh, to people throughout the world. Just little ways to bring a little help and love to people who are in need. And it all goes back to the story that Jesus told about three men uh, who passed by another man uh, who had been attacked and beaten and left on the side of the road to die by some robbers. Now, you may be familiar with the story, but I'm not so uh, not so sure how familiar you are with the setting and the context of what Jesus is doing. So let me show you a few things. This right here is a picture that someone took of the actual road uh, from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And you can see just some beautiful rock formations there. I remember a few years ago, Sarah and I were leading a group through Israel, and we got to see it. Uh, we didn't go down the road itself. We were on the highway and kind of looking down at the road. But it kind of winds down this valley from Jerusalem way up on high down to Jericho down by the Jordan River Valley. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, I'm told, also had a chance to visit that place. And, and in one of his final speeches before his own death, he said this. This is from his I've Been on the Mountaintop speech, April 3rd, 1968. He says this, I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on this road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. And then he explained why. He said this, uh, my slides, there we go. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 feet above sea level, and by the time you get to Jericho, you're at about 2,200 feet below sea level. It's at 3,400 feet difference in elevation, uh, and, um, and that's a dangerous road. Now, I can guarantee you that the man going down to Jericho wasn't going in a car apparently that fast to get there in 15 or 20 minutes, but you could get there in maybe an afternoon or certainly within a day. It was a well-traveled road, even though it was risky and dangerous because it connected the, the, the agricultural hub 
the Jordan River Valley with the, the civil and religious hub that is Jerusalem. And, and oftentimes in the evenings and on weekends, those who are well-to-do in Jerusalem would make their way down to Jericho to get away from the heat, get down by the water, and enjoy a little more pleasant experience than the big city up in the mountains. Um, now, it just so happened that on this occasion, uh, Jesus told this story, uh, not just out of the blue as a good idea, but in response uh, to a specific question, right? Here's what it says, and behold, a lawyer stood and put him to the test, saying to Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, now Lutherans in the room probably cringe at just the way this question is asked because we've been so well trained to say there's nothing we can do or say that merits or earns or deserves us eternal life, right? There's, there's nothing we can do to make God love us enough to outweigh the bad we've done. There's nothing we can do to tip the scales and balance in our favor when it comes to right and wrong. We are all sinful and unclean. We have all failed to live up to the perfect standard of God, and there's nothing we can do or say to make Him love us more. Um, but, but it's interesting that Jesus doesn't just jump on the guy because of the way he asked the question. Um, maybe, maybe he understood that, that it was a fair question to ask, or maybe he just saw it as an opportunity uh, to, to bring him to a new level of understanding. In any case, Jesus answered him by saying, well, tell me, what does uh, the Scriptures say, right? What does the Torah teach us about these things? And, and here is what the guy responds with. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, this is a pretty good answer. Uh, he simply quotes Scripture and two very important verses that on another occasion Jesus himself also quoted when he was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? Here's what Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and, and then he added, this is the great and first commandment. When he said this, he was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you know Deuteronomy, then you know the verse right before is very important. It's called the Shema in Judaism still to this day. It's like their simplest articulation of faith, kind of like the creed we just spoke together, or the simple statement, Jesus is Lord, from the New Testament. In this case, he, uh, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that was the statement of faith uh, from the earliest believers, from the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to Moses, and was recorded in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And then in verse 5, it goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, right? God wants all of us uh, unreserved, unconditionally, so that he can redeem and restore us and then begin to work through us to do what he longs to do in the world. In, in Matthew 22, Jesus went on, though. He didn't end with that. He added these words right afterwards. He said, uh, this is the first and great commandment, but then he added this, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, that's from Leviticus 19, verse 18. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And that little phrase there, the law and the prophets, is like a little shorthand for saying all of Scripture. 
Sometimes it was referred to as the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Uh, in, in Hebrew, that's the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, from which you get TNK, which is sometimes still to this day pronounced Tanakh. That's the way they refer to their scriptures. And Jesus is essentially saying, if you want to know what God expects of us, if you want to know what his best is for us, for how we should live, just boil it down and go back to those two basic instructions. Love God, love people. No ifs, ands, buts, or excuses. Love God, love people. And, and then what Jesus goes on to say next, back in, in Luke 20, or 10, rather, is very interesting, verse 28. When he responds correctly with those two uh, verses, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. That is to say, it, if we want to focus on what God is calling us to do and how he is calling us to live, there's no better way to summarize it than love God and love people. And, and the way we are to go about resurrecting Jesus' love is to love God and love people as simply and as, uh, as uh, unconditionally as God has loved us. That is to say, when we look at people, we're not supposed to look at their skin tone, their stature, the way they dress, uh, the kind of car they drive, the kind of job they have, uh, maybe what bumper stickers they have on their car or signs out in front of their house. Uh, Not at any of those things which would seek to divide us, but he invites us to see one another first and foremost as his children, made in his image and loved dearly by him. Right In the same way that you would never want someone to see or define you based on your worst moment, uh, on, on your poorest decision, on, on the place where you struggle most in your marriage uh, or as a parent or in your career or in your neighborhood and community, in the same way that you wouldn't want to be defined by your sin, Jesus doesn't look at you and define you in that way either. Instead, he says, here is a child of God made in my image, for whom I have so much in store. And my simple desire is that they would come to me and hear my words of grace, truth, love, and forgiveness, and then begin to allow that to shape the rest of their life, all they say and do, and then in that way truly live. St. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 3. He says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, right? The two major kind of ethnic divisions in the biblical era. There is neither slave nor free, the two major social divisions of those who are well-to-do and those who are maybe working class or even enslaved to try to work off of a debt. There is neither, he even goes on to say this, there is no male or female, not to say that our created distinctions don't matter, but just that that doesn't give us an advantage or disadvantage when it comes to a relationship with God. He goes on to say this, verse 29, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. In the same way that we have nothing that we can offer to earn or deserve his love or favor. In the same way that he requires us to be completely humble and broken at the foot of his cross to receive his shed blood and the forgiveness that comes through it. In the same way, he says, you are to look at one another without any conditions attached. No ifs, ands, buts, no strings, no judging based on appearances or on past mistakes. Friends, what would it look like if we as his people actually embrace that simple instruction to love God and to love people, to do this and to truly live? How might it begin to break down the barriers in our marriages, in our families, with our kids and grandkids, our classmates, 
those we live next to, those we work next to, wherever we live, work, and play, what would it look like if we actually, to the best of our ability and with the help of the Holy Spirit, started to do what we could to see others the way God sees us? Imagine how that would lead to a life of love, of grace, of kindness, of humility, of humble service to each other. Friends, it's within our reach because the Spirit of God is enabling us to take a step in that direction. And as we do, both here and outside of these walls and wherever God might send us, I'm convinced that God will bring His redemptive and restoring power into the world through us in a way that will leave the world changed for the better for forever. Amen. As you reflect on this, uh, we have two here in practice questions. This is one of our customs here to help you think about and process maybe what God is speaking to you through worship today. And the two questions are these. Go ahead and you can bring them up on the screen when you get a chance. Uh, we're, we're inviting you to reflect on this. And maybe if you're on your own, you can think about this on your own. Or if you're with someone here or at home, uh, think of a time that you misjudged someone based on how they looked, spoke, or acted. How'd that go? And what can you learn from that? And then secondly, who is someone close to you but far from Jesus that you need to see and treat differently today? Take a couple minutes, share that with those you're with or think about that on your own, and then we'll continue our worship in just a moment.